0: Everybody goes into business for for different things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the eCom Growth Show. Let's go. And I wouldn't say uh, why people go into business and the different reasons is necessarily one is better than the other, one is good or bad, but it is interesting. Because I feel like my experience and, you know, what has been meaningful to me um, as far as like what a growing business has provided me and my family and my life has been drastically different from what I see uh, being advertised um, out there on social media and on the internet. You know, I think a lot of people, they think being a successful business owner is all about owning that Lambo. It's all about uh, getting the girls living this lavish lifestyle. And being able to just, you know, like travel around in jets and, and do all this, this live this crazy life of luxury and do all this extravagant stuff. That's, it's really flashy. And again, I'm not trying to make the point that that is bad in any way. It's just so different from what I'm experiencing. And I want to be able to share my experience, first of all, of like, what our business has provided me and what that's meant to be in my life. And hopefully have that be relevant to some of you guys and what you're experiencing in in your business. And if anything, you know, help you to feel like you're not alone in this. Because when I when I see what's going on there and like what people uh, seemingly be, um, are pursuing business for, and it doesn't connect with me, I'm like, dude, I'm all alone. Like this is, I must be doing something wrong or, or, or I'm motivated by the wrong thing or something like that. So, I do want to to shift gears a little bit on this episode and as you can see Daniel's Daniel's not with me today it's just it's just me here solo and it's uh, it's actually a little intimidating cuz I feel like I have to be solely responsible for filling the air um with with good words fully articulated so you'll have to give me a little grace if I stumble over my words um but I just want to share a story of like the first time that I really recognized what was special about our business. And it was just so deeply impacted by the way it positively affected me and my family. Um, So I'm going to get a little vulnerable. I'm going to share a story about my son. I hope I don't cry. I I shared this with our team and um, you know, as a part of our 2021 vision casting, I ended up (laughs) tearing up a little bit. So hopefully I don't do that in an even more public setting. Um, so I'm just gonna dive in and, and share it with you guys. Uh, it was June 11th, 2017. And me and my wife had uh, just given birth to our thirdborn baby, my my son Oliver. And those moments, like when I reflect on my life, some of the most impactful and special moments, um, you know, I think about some of these experiences I've had, at the hospital right after a brand new baby has been born. And anybody who knows me and knows me well knows that like family to me is my, my number one priority. My, my number one purpose in life is just being able for me to be able to be a a good husband, a good father to my kids and really, really family valued person. And so we had just given birth to our son and, and just kind of basking in that afterglow. It was kind of like the dust had settled. It was the calm after the storm, and and all the work was done, and it was just time to to snuggle our brand-new, uh, beautiful baby boy. And anybody who's had a kid um, should know that <laughs> your skull, like w- when a baby's exiting the birth canal, the, the skull has the ability to kind of collapse, and, and that's why when a, you have a newborn baby, you can see like a cone head, there's some flexibility in the skull because there's it's made up of four different plates and they're meant to be able to move independently and then as the baby grows, um, they're they're not attached so that the the brain can grow the skull can grow uh, around the brain and, and it just works out it's a it's a wonderful design. Well, we were um, holding our baby and again, just trying to soak in those super special moments. Cause like for me and my wife, Brittany, like we just love that so much. And those are, so, those are like sacred moments. Those are very special moments. And, um, you know, I saw, I saw Brittany looking at her son and she looked, uh, you know, very proud, uh, very relieved to have the baby out. And, but also there was like this underlying look of her just being slightly puzzled, and I remember one time I was holding Oliver, too, and just kind of looking at his face. And, you know, he kind of noticed there's just this slight twist that seemed a little bit different than than the rest of our, our kids. And, you know, we've seen the the cone head shape that goes away in a few days. But, you know, kind of noticed it and brushed it off as nothing. And then, um, you know, a few days later, it's still just like his his face or his head or something or his forehead just didn't. Didn't quite look right, and neither of us wanted. I, I think we both saw it, but neither of us wanted to to mention it. No one. We didn't want to like plant some um, some invalid concerns for no reason and, and ruin like this this beautiful golden hour that we that we get with just the baby. You know, the other kids were were being babysat by grandma and grandpa, and really a special time. So I didn't want to spoil that by voicing some invalid concerns. Um, but I remember Brittany, She was just looking at him, and it took like all the courage she had to to look up at me, and she just said, "Robbie, I, I don't think there's, I think there's something wrong with his face." And and you know, immediately I'm wanting to be the the fix it husband, and I'm saying, "Okay, well, like let's just let's just ask the nurse see what's going on," and so. We asked the nurse who called in the doctor and they said, yeah, it's fine. Like it'll, he will grow out of it. It's just a little deformed because I've, he, he just got pushed out the birth canal, stuff like that. And anyways, it started this process over the next, um, almost the next year, but I would say more accurately, just like several months of us constantly want, knowing deep down that something was wrong with his skull or his face or, or something we couldn't quite put our finger on what it was. And we kept reaching out to like our family doctor, you know, in these, in these checkups with uh, midwives and nurses, we'd, we'd mention it and they would all just kind of like say, no, no, it's okay. And then finally um, we we felt like we were battling for, for answers and and really for his health. And then finally somebody's like, well, it is a little, it is a little odd. It's been so long and I can definitely see there's something wrong. So I'm going to send you, um, you know, four hours north of here to an eye specialist in Anchorage. And he's going to take a look at him just make sure everything's okay. And when we got there, he started doing all these tests and specifically on the way his eyes were tracking. And you could see that he, he didn't have an ability to really like point his eyes much past his brow, like a, a horizontal line from his brow. And like anytime he tried to lift his head, there was like a an invisible ceiling there that he couldn't. And then we also noticed when he was trying to track the doctor's eyes back and forth left to right you know one eye was constantly falling off and they weren't tracking together and so we're trying to unpack you know what does that mean what are the implications of this can this be fixed and he actually pointed he he, he was the first one to diagnose it as something called um craniosynostosis which means those four plates that the skull's made up of that are supposed to be independently uh, together, but not like fused together, um, that there was a, a fusion there that wasn't supposed to be there. And so his skull did not have the ability to be malleable when it was exiting the birth canal, which we later found out. That's why it was so hard for my wife to push him out. And so much different than our other kids was because his his skull didn't have the ability to to give a little bit as it was exiting the birth canal. So it was really tough from a labor and delivery standpoint. But then the bigger concern is that since it's fused together, it cannot grow as he does and it cannot grow as his brain grows, which means eventually there's going to be a lack of blood flow to his brain, which will cause brain damage and, um, could be a very disabilitating thing and maybe even fatal at some point. And so really, really scary to hear that. And especially like I think for anybody, you know, that would be devastating news. Um but man, like our kids are everything and that I just couldn't even like couldn't even go there. So growing up, um I I remember for us, like the decision to go into a hospital or <laughs> to go get seen by a doctor. And again, this is my, I I was a little kid experiencing this. I don't know if this is entirely true. Like you'd have to fact check this with my parents, but I always felt like our decision to go to the hospital was a little bit more of like, can we afford this or is insurance going to cover this more so than like, um, you know, how serious is this injury? How urgent is it? And how quick do we need to go. Obviously, in an extreme circumstance, they'd do whatever it takes and move a mountain to get us the care we needed. Um, but there was a certain level of not being able to pursue top-notch care because of financial limitations, and so that was a hard thing. And I've always, I think, I've always kind of felt that as an adult too, in providing care for from for my kids is trying to make sense, make sure we can afford it. And so in this case, it was so much different because um, we had been up and running, you know, maybe, maybe three years as a company and we were starting to build some momentum. And um, I basically, it gave me the confidence in my own resources to be able to pursue whatever, whatever we could in terms of of care for him. And that's why we drove four hours, uh, four hours North to get seen by this eye specialist And, um, anyways, a few more visits here and there, this is a pretty long drawn out process that I'm trying to, to summarize for you, but basically eventually said there is a solution for this. And the solution is a skull reconstruction surgery. And we can do that in Anchorage. And we're actually just getting like our pediatric, uh, cranial department up and running. And, you know, he can be one of the first ones through. And that was like a massive trigger for us. We're like, dude, this is my, this is my son. Like, I'm not going to let him uh, go be the first one through or the guinea pig of this. And, uh, it just put us in this spot where we, again, we just felt like we were fighting for, for his care. And it was really, really scary. Um, and we didn't know the financial implications, but um, we eventually got connected, uh, did a little research by myself and got connected with uh, Seattle's Children's Hospital. And they do like, I think, 400 of these surgeries a year. So like more than one every single day. And I'm like, you know, that's that's who I want doing his surgery. And so we had this confidence to be able to go out and, and seek out some really solid care. And so, you know, we had a few trips to Seattle to to first get all the imaging done, develop a plan for the surgery, make sure it's actually what he needed. And, um, dude, in those moments, it, when it came time, we, we got the surgery scheduled and it was time for us to go to Seattle to actually start the process of that whole surgery, which isn't just like a quick thing you show up for and then leave for. There was a full recovery time. There was a full Lead up time with several more appointments even prior to the surgery, and um, in in that situation, I just remember like feeling so so powerless and and slightly upset that there was nothing like as far as we could tell, there was nothing we did to ha- to cause him to have this um, this situation and not that we even wanted to blame ourselves but it it was just there it was just a real bummer situation and his future was at stake and we didn't know why and on top of that there was n- nothing that i felt like i could do to secure his future for him i felt 100% powerless in this situation and it was very clear in those appointments that there was no guarantees there was no guarantees that he was even going to survive the surgery which is just super super scary and you're in a very vulnerable spot and again all these triggers coming up from not growing up with with much money and um man just just feeling out of control and i in those situations like for me being kind of like this fix it guy that I want to be. I just wanted something that i that could produce the feeling of me being in control. And I wanted to turn to our business and I wanted to earn something. I wanted to achieve something. I wanted to uh, achieve a goal. And, um, all of it was just me acting like a little kid throwing a fit because I was just scared, just scared. I was going to lose my son And nobody would let me work Uh, in our company. We had just, like, kind of been starting to hire on people. And and Daniel, I think about Melinda, who's been around with us from the beginning, like, nobody would would let me work to, like, say, no, just be present with your family. Like, this is a very serious process. And, um, you know, work is taken care of. The company will be just fine. And it was such an interesting situation because this is, like, when I— I, it really hit me in this moment that a company is greater than the sum of its parts and that together, you know, with, with several of us working together, we can achieve a lot more when we work together than if we were to all go out and individually try and do our own thing. And I remember this month of September, it was like we had hit a new revenue goal and our team was growing. We were, we were, um, Crushing client goals and just all this exciting stuff was happening, and nobody would let me do anything. And I felt like I had nothing to do with that. And I was just like spiraling in my fear and this feeling of being out of control, and just this utter desire to like try and do something to fix something because I was so scared and I felt like everything was on the line. And all I could do was just lay there completely what I felt like was completely vulnerable, completely just laid bare and powerless, just hoping that this was going to work out. And so it came time for us to actually go ahead and and do the surgery. And I was holding my son, just like thinking about how they do it um, when he's one year old. So the last 12 months had spent like just really hoping about this, praying about this, like wanting him to have a a healthy future with a healthy mind and, and all this stuff. And it was finally coming down to this moment where this was either going to um, fix him and secure his future or or it wasn't going to work. And the procedure is they, they take a scalpel and they do an incision in a zigzag from one ear over the top of the head to the other ear. And so they basically make his, his um, skull look like a cracked egg and they pull the skin down they pull the skin down all the way below his, his eye sockets and all the way down on the back, so ex- exposing the entire upper half of the skull. And then they take a saw and they remove the top half of his skull. They break his skull to pieces, and then they put screw, they screw it all back together and they make sure there's room between those different cranial plates. And Then they put it back on his brain, pull his skin back, stitch it up, and, and hopefully it all works out. So it was a really scary surgery and it, and it was time for it to all happen. And again, just feeling scared, feeling anxious, trying to support my wife. Who's also scared, trying to support my, my, my little boy who also could definitely, you know, he's young, but he can definitely sense something strange is going on. Like all these hospital villi- uh, visits were uprooted from our home for a pretty long period of time. I think we had, at this point, we had already been there a couple of weeks. We're going to still be there a couple weeks after the surgery. And, uh, it, it was time and it was like coming up to the to the time scheduled for the surgery. Um, me and my other son he, he had to shave his head for them to do this, so it, all the boys in my family ended up shaving our heads and uh, you know, just feeling like we were really really just trying to be as present and as supportive as we can for this um, one year baby boy that we did not know what was gonna happen. And I remember picking him up in my arms. And they said, "Okay, you're going to walk him back to where they're going to do the surgery." And I, I was walking down this long white hall with super bright lights. It smelled like just very sanitary and and dry and and a little bit cold. And we walk in this room, and it's like something out of a sci-fi movie. It's this big circular room. You know, there's big, massive screens like all the way, uh, all the way around the room with different angles and imagery of his skull. And there was about, I want to say like seven or eight doctors, they all had masks on, I couldn't see any of their faces. And I don't know if like my, I was just like heightened enough in my um, energy and emotions that I like didn't hear anything. But I don't remember anybody ever talking to me. I just remember them just kind of like guiding me toward this chair in the middle of the room. And they're all huddled around me. And they instructed me to take this, this mask, this anesthesia mask, I was holding my baby in one arm and I had a mask in the other hand. And they said, okay, now you can put it over his mouth and his nose. Uh, or sorry, I wasn't holding <laughs> the mask. I was holding the baby and they were going to hold the mask. So they said, we're going to put it over his mouth and his nose. Eventually, he's going to take a few breaths. You can talk to him during that time. And then eventually he's going to go under and uh, and you can take him over here and lay, lay him on the operating table. And I remember just holding him Wondering if this was like our my last moment to hold him and I was looking him in the eyes and he was scared and I was just talking to him. I said, Son, it's okay. You can relax cause he was trying to kick around and they're trying to put the mask over his face and he was trying to avoid it. And I said, It's okay. You can relax, you can go to sleep. It's okay. And I remember wanting to say like, You're gonna be fine but I just had no idea if that was actually the case, but I knew this was our best shot. And so I said, it's okay. It's okay. You can go to sleep. And eventually he just went limp in my arms and I had to just stand up and lay him on this table. And, uh, And just lay his little body, his little beautiful body, on the table, and, and walk out of the room. And then I had to go and wait with my wife for like five or six hours, or however long it actually felt like, extremely quick compared to what I, the, the challenging tasks they had before them, and it only took like a half a day, which was really surprising to me. We got the call. They said, "Guys, he's um, he." he's all done with surgery. He's doing great. Uh, you guys can come and see him. And he was laid up for like a really long time after that, his head completely, it swelled. Like I want to say like an, like an inch or a half an inch entirely around the top half of his skull. So it just looked very strange, very swollen. He had a tube up into his forehead that was draining all the excess fluid. He had this crazy new scar and, uh, it just kind of started us on this journey of recovery. And the whole reason I bring up that story is that um, none of this would have been possible in my previous uh, career path, my previous occupation of, you know, maybe working construction, going fishing. Like there's no way that I would be able to not only take a month off of work, but then also be able to provide the world's best when it came to this surgery and be able to be present with my family in that way. And to me, that's what business is all about. That's what growing our company has been all about. It's it's about being able to provide a future for my children, for my family, and for us to be solid when things feel shaky. And, And again, just feeling so humbled and blessed by this idea that a company is so much greater than the sum of its parts. And through specialization, now we look at our team, it's, you know, 35, 40 people. There's things that our team does that no one person could ever expect to do in a thousand lifetimes. And it's only because of this idea of collaboration and through commerce where we're, we're um, providing value to people and we're actually putting put businesses in similar situations uh, that I was in where these big, scary things in life don't have to be that scary. And there's actually a process for, um, for getting freedom from this and being empowered to seek that freedom. And that's, you know, I, I told you this is the second time I shared this. And, and the first time was really like being able to share our vision for Shopanova over the coming 10 years and really just boiling down this idea that we exist to empower and liberate And so everything we do, whether it's marketing, whether it's working with, um, you know, hopping on calls with prospects, whether it's our clients, whether it's the way that me and Daniel uh, manage the people we're so blessed to to work with, it's all around based around this idea of we want to empower and liberate people, and that's the whole reason we exist. And we we simply do that through e-commerce growth. But there's so much it's so much deeper than that. <laughs> like that's a, that actually means something. And it's meant something to me in my life. And I hope that, um, you know, even you just listening to this in a, in a certain sense, just gives you a confidence to pursue your business goals. Not because you, I mean, if you really want a Ferrari, that's, that's awesome. I maybe one day I'll buy one. I don't know, but, but use this as fuel, to be empowered and to seek liberation in your life, because I feel like that's what it's all about. So, anyways, I hope you got value from this from this story. Um, I feel a little strange getting that vulnerable, especially in front of this large of an audience. And, and anytime I see a snippet from this, I know I'm gonna gonna sweat and get embarrassed. But the cool thing about story, you know, we've talked about this before, is that stories carry the power and potential for whatever victory, um, that has happened to happen again. And so you can look at this and you can say, you know what, I want that. And you can use that as fuel to go out and crush your goals. And so I'm happy that I can share that with you guys. And it, it does feel vulnerable, but I'm, I'm honored to be in a position where, um, I can share some of these victories from my own life and have it mean something to you personally. So, again, I know it's a little bit of a weird, weird episode here, but I, I just felt like that was an important thing to share. And uh, we will catch you next time on the Ecom Growth Show.